forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care and fit us for heaven to live with thee there. What a beautiful prayer that is. And that should be our prayer today. Be near me, Lord Jesus. Stay close by me. And I trust that that is the prayer that we have uh, each and every day. Uh, Lord, draw me closer to you and that you would draw closer to me. This morning, I want us to look at a different passage of Scripture, still in the, the Christmas series, if you will, of messages here. But I want to take a different approach, if you will, not the typical Christmas passage this morning uh, that we would probably normally uh, look at, but we'll be in the book of Galatians chapter number 4. Galatians chapter number 4. We know that this time of year is uh, gift giving, and, and we know that most churches are preaching on the birth of Christ and and uh, we have the advertisements I've noticed I don't watch TV but I do listen to the radio as I travel a lot and and I've noticed uh, all the advertisements are now out you know these holiday sales uh, uh, the various things from tools to automobiles to everything in between that one can buy and simply saying billboards that says, hey, buy me, you know, take me home, whatever the case may be. And then the same thing with preaching. We expect to hear about the inn having no room for Christ, the shepherds, the wise men, the prophecies, the angelic approaches or appearances of, of angels. And that's all part of that message. Don't misunderstand me. But I want us to travel back to Galatia, where Paul is writing to the Christians there at that church. And and he makes a profound statement about Christ's birth to the Galatian church. And there's so many things uh, that this particular statement encompasses and I want us to think about that uh, this morning as we spend Christmas if you will with Paul uh, today. Galatians chapter 4 and we'll begin reading in verse number 4. Galatians 4 beginning in verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth his spirit of the son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. I want to think about this morning, God being an on-time God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence here this morning. We're thankful for the ability to be able to gather in your house without fear of persecution, without fear of, of uh, being um, killed or harmed for our faith in you. And God, we're so thankful as so many around our world do not have the privilege that we have this morning. 
Lord, help us to meditate upon your word this morning. God, help us to listen to your voice, speak to our heart. And Lord, we pray that if there's one who may is here or may be listening, God, that they be convicted by your spirit. If they are lost, that, Father, they be saved before it's eternally too late. Likewise, that one who maybe is wandering around in the wilderness of sin, God, that you would convict their heart, that they too would repent and return to you. Lord, we thank you for being an on-time God, despite the circumstances as we see them. Lord, how that everything works out in accordance to your plan and your will. Lord, as again, speak to our hearts, hide me behind the cross of Calvary. Lord, that these dear folk not see me this morning. But God, if they would see you, for it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. What does this mean? This is Paul speaking again to the uh, church at Galatia, and he is mentioning this. Of course, we know uh, that this is uh, the Jews were in a... Uh, a dispensation where they were under the the uh, the law, and they try and again, if you'll read throughout all of the epistles of, of Paul, mostly uh, they are dealing with the church trying to intermingle law and grace, and so Paul is trying to uh, teach them that that they are no longer under the law, but they are under grace because of Calvary. So he makes this statement here in chapter 4, again, educating them and telling them that when the fullness of time was come, God sent his son made of a woman. I thought about three things that that one statement, verse 4 and then also in verse 5, to redeem them, that one statement and all that it encompasses this morning. First of all, it tells us that God is always on time. God is always on time. When the fullness of time was come, how impatient we become. When things do not work out the way that that we had planned for them to work out, when our prayers are not answered or when difficulties seem to persist in our life, we become impatient. It always seems that we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and sometimes we may never see the answer or perhaps we have the answer but we're so blinded because it's not the answer that we want. But God is always on time. Consider the Old Testament examples. If you remember Joseph, how he was sold into a slavery, how he was imprisoned, and yet he becomes one of the prime ministers of Egypt. Moses, a great leader that Moses was, how he was preserved in the desert, and yet he becomes a great deliverer. That Red Sea, how that it just opened and, and it was opened just in time for children of Israel to pass through. And how it closed in on the soldiers that were pursuing them. God is an on-time God. And God was right on time with the birth of Christ. How long it must have seemed. Can you imagine? 
You go through the Old Testament times and you hear prophecies of this birth of a king, this birth of the Messiah, uh, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Redeemer coming. And you hear these, probably many of these folks probably heard it for all their lives, right? The coming Messiah, the coming Messiah. And then you go through a whole 400 years of absolute silence. Now, was God still working? Absolutely. Uh, it's not inspired word of God, but if you read some of the historical writings that had taken place uh, during that time, you, uh, if you wanted to, to look them up, it's called the Apocrypha books, uh, the works of Josephus and various other uh, Jewish leaders in that time period. You can see where God was still working, but not in the sense of prophecies, not in the sense of prophets prophesying things that were happening. So you have, in essence, 400 years of silence from God. No more prophecies, none of those. But then all of a sudden you have this birth of Christ and how long that must have seemed. And then the promise in the garden, the prophecies, the silence, and then the action. How all of a sudden these angels bust into the seam here and, and this activity starts to happen and all of the wheels, as I say, began to turn. We see where there was a taxing that had to take place. The crowded inn where there was no room for Jesus there and so they had to keep moving along. Then the birth and then the shepherds and the wise men and just as God was on time with this birth of Christ, God will be right on time with the second coming of Christ. Heard someone say, I don't remember if it was this week, maybe it was last week, this past week, or maybe the week before. I sure wish the Lord would come on back. And while I agree with that statement, and, and I, I countered that statement with, well, it isn't time yet, because if it was time, he would have already, right? There's still some things that need to happen. There's still some things that, that must happen. There's still some messages that need to be proclaimed. There's still some lost souls that need to be saved. And I think all those things are in line with God's timing. The current scene and the temptation that we have to, to start setting dates. Uh, uh, we are a, a calendar type people. Everything has to have a, a date and a time. And, and this is how it must be. Whether or not it's accurate, right? But it must be this. We have to do it this way. We're so tempted to put a date and a time. I remember, I forget who it was. I remember studying it in uh, church history, but um, individual back in the 40s, I think it was, that, that had said, due to all of the mathematical equations, and he figured out how to, to do the timing of the Old Testament, the timing of the New Testament, and he did all of these equations, and this particular date in 1940-something, Jesus was coming back. Without a doubt, he had to that day. Well, we're in December of 2023, and if he came back, he forgot some, right? He hasn't come back. We're so tempted to set a date. Some doubt 
He's not coming back. And I'm sure during that 400 time, or the 400 years of silence there, that there were many people that had their doubts that Jesus is not going to be born, that this Messiah was not going to be born, that all of these prophecies, these prophets, was in vain. God is always on time. God's will will be on time. His working in our lives is on His time schedule. We are not here by accident. You're not here this morning by accident. Whoever may be listening to this message online is not listening by accident. Your difficulties are opportunities to believe. Not only is God an on-time God, but secondly, God meets people where they are. God meets people where they are. Notice what the scripture says. That God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. That's where we all had our beginning, right? Born so helpless. Uh, We didn't come into this world able to fight for ourselves. We didn't come into this world with a uh, full set of knowledge of being able to to fend for ourselves or make choices for ourselves. We had uh, parents to do that or guardians that would take care of us to do that. And so uh, we all were born so helpless and how strange it would be that God should choose this entrance to the world the way that he did. Of all things, a king, God himself, God the Son, being born in a little low stable because there was, as some would say by happenstance, there was no room at the hotel. God meets us where we are. And this great degree of his humility is talked about and how he was laid in this manger. And that tells me that despite his titles and despite who he was and the divinity that he had, that you and I, as helpless as we are, he meets us where we are. God will meet you right where you are today. As helpless and sinful as we are, that's why Christ came. That leads us into that third idea here. That not only is God an on-time God, but God meets people where they are. But also that God wants to change people from what they are to who they can be. God can change people from what they are to what they can be. Notice what he says, verse number 5. He says, To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Isn't that great? To receive this adoption. Adoption means to be 
uh, son place. It, it is possible because of the redemption, the cross, that, that God is developing you into what you ought to be. I remember years ago I preached a revival and and I had a, a, those in, that are, are preachers, they would understand this statement. Uh, sometimes you get these little nuggets in the midst of preaching, right? Uh, there's been times that I would have this, what I thought, great message for uh, Sunday and, and it was going to be great and I get to the church and then I didn't even get to preach that message. I had to preach something else. That's happened on an occasion. But I remember making this statement one time. It was in a revival meeting. And I said that God can take you from where you are and put you where you need to be. Where we are in our sinful state, where we are in our mentality, where we are in our thinking as far away from God as we might could possibly be, that God can take us from there and put us where we need to be. God is developing us into what we need to be. Jesus is able to change your life. I've told stories of, of people that I've encountered down through the years of, of dealing with alcohol and drug and various other issues in life and imprisonment and everything else in between and, and how that God can change a life. I could tell you a story of a, of a, of a pastor today and if I mentioned his name, you might would know him because he, he pastored a church over here in the Delta uh, on the Mississippi side of the river. But I grew up around that man. I grew up around his family and I knew him. And when I tell you that being called the town drunk would be putting it lightly, that's exactly what I mean. This is a gentleman that would come to our house. We had a farm out side of Oxford there. And every weekend, my dad would have these parties, right? And there'd be people all over. The field would literally be filled with cars and people all over the place. We're talking massive parties. Drinking, alcohol, all that stuff. And we could wake up the next morning and find this gentleman literally lying in the road ditch from where he passed out from the night before. That's the kind of alcohol I'm talking. Literally drunk off his feet, right? Every weekend. Lost his home, lost his cars because of it, wrecked countless cars because of it. But there was something that happened one Sunday as he walked into the church house and he walked down the aisle and he laid it all on the altar. And he got saved. Surrendered to preach, went to seminary and is pastoring a fairly large church in the Delta. God can change a life, right? I could tell you countless stories that through revival meetings of people literally laying their, their substance abuse items on the altar and saying, I'm done with it because of what Jesus has done in my life. Jesus can take us from where we are 
and put us where we need to be. He can change your life. He can change a life like Paul's, dear friend, and I can assure you, he can change your life as well. You can only be what you ought to be through his power. As we will extend an invitation this morning, make this your moment of decision, most important moment of your life. Does God have complete power in your life? Have you allowed him to change you, to change who you are? Have you received, uh, you know, we hear a lot about identities today. There's so many, you know, when I was growing up, there was only two, right? I saw a job application recently that had, I stopped counting at 12, the number of identities that one can have. Dear friend, I can tell you there's only two. You're either with Christ or you're not. You either identify with Christ or you do not. And the choice is yours. Would you trust him today? Despite the circumstances in your life, God is on time. Whatever you're praying for, whatever you're believing God for this morning, please know, don't give up. Trust him. His timing is always best. We'll extend an invitation. This is your moment to do business with God, whatever it may be that you would need to do. Do that now as we sing.